here we go. As I try to catch up with everything so I can say the right things. Good morning. Good morning in the after, uh, I don't know what we would call it. So we've had another debate. The GS Plumbing Talk line is one 800 Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, if that is your cup of tea. And I have a bunch of podcasts available for you at and on the free Odyssey app. And anywhere else you get your podcasts. Now, we obviously have problems. I'm going to tell you what this is reminding me of as we watch the debates happening. This reminds me of when the last time Lindsey Graham was up for re-election, we had five or six different people that were wanting to primary him. And those five or six were in there in the mix trying to mix it up with each other and out-talk each other and do little things against each other. Lindsey Graham never got involved with them, right? And in the end, nobody pulled apart from the herd. You know, Lee Bright was one of them. There was a lot of people in, I think Nancy Mace might have been one of them, but uh, I don't remember who all they were. And you probably do. You probably remember, and you can remind me if you want to on the text line. But this is what this reminds me of. I watched that last night, and I was, uh... there are a few things that stood out to me. Tim Scott could be incredibly effective if he, if we would stop talking about his early upbringing. I am fully cognizant of the fact that he had, he pulled himself up and out of poverty. I get that. That doesn't have to be reiterated all the time. Other than that, he gets out there and he's a, he seems amazingly effective at getting a point across to me. Uh, also, the way they had him lined up that was also very telling for me. They had they had Ron DeSantis dead in the middle. They had uh, Haley and Ramaswamy on either side of him, and then they had, I guess, who they considered to be the outliers, Christie and uh, and Scott on the outside. So I don't know what kind of subliminal message. I'm aware of the fact they put Ronald McDaniel on stage before they went live, and uh, she got to talk whatever talk she did. And, uh, and we're going to go over that. I got, you know, Candace Carroll's going to join me later on. I've got uh, Nan Su from APOC Times. I want to find out what the Chinese, the Chinese probably watch this. Never, never underestimate what an enemy is willing to do as they look at this. You, you can tell all of them are really good specialists at opposition research, but at the same time, they're really good. At, and some of them were spinning things in a certain way to throw something at a, with a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of English on the ball as they threw it out there, which, you know. I saw a couple of times, I saw DeSantis go, that's not true. I saw Tim Scott say it. Most of the time they were saying that to Nikki Haley. <laughs> and Nikki Haley wins the, uh, she wins the, uh, she wins the award for the most confusing statement made when she said she wore five inch heels for ammunition. And in the midst of all of this, of course, we had Nikki and Vivek going after each other. And Vivek, uh, now, the thing about Ramaswamy, some of the things he says, I, I get, and I understand how hard they would be to implement. We're talking about a president. This is a guy who has a minimum of a four-year shelf life and a maximum of an eight-year shelf life. The only way for a president to really get in there and do everything he wants to do is to get him into the second term to where he doesn't have to worry about being reelected. Once he's in the second term, 
he can get out there and wreak havoc if he wants to. That has always been the way it is. When they get there and they, they hit the constitutional wall and they know there's, there, there's no further for them to go, they are free. They are unfettered, free and clear to navigate. Now, Trump, if he's elected straight going into this, he will be unfettered. Anybody else that gets out there, and I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not unimpressed by the bench. The bench, uh, the bench is interesting. They all have their little issues, their little idiosyncrasies. Um, none of them were reluctant to mix it up. Although I did see, I, it sort of seemed like Haley and Christie were sort of pairing off because they were like, "Yeah, I, I'm with Haley. Yeah, yeah, I'm with Chris Christie." Um, you know, they they would they would. Uh, throw those platitudes out there and uh, I don't quite understand this because this is like being on a wrestling team when you're on when you're trying to vie for a nomination for an office you're on a wrestling team yes you're on a team but at the same time when you get on the mat you're by yourself and you better be fighting while you're on the mat and all of them Christie is a little he's a little too uh I don't know. He's a little too, uh, I think he would, I don't think he would do much. I don't think he'd be a very active president. We need an active president. The other thing I saw was uh, I, I was watching the, the some of the questions and like the lone, the lone guy that we would say was the conservative, Hugh Hewitt. He got out there and he was asking impossible questions to answer. Like how many ships should our Navy be? Now, I'm almost certain that Hugh, on his daily radio show, his big syndicated radio show, I'm almost certain that he is uh, aware that we're thirty, nearly $34 trillion in debt. So whatever we're going to do as far as building up our military, which that is a given we're going to have to do, they're going to have to do something about the way we spend money and the, where we're spending it. Some of them had some decent... In, interesting ideas like Vivek's like there we don't we don't need to be fighting any of these foreign wars well we we're going to have to make a decision whether we're going to have allies and sign on treaties and have alliances and coalitions or if we're just going to go it alone we have to decide that although the the moderators uh Lester Holt asked uh Scott what would he do to lessen the impact of energy and the cost of energy on America in his first day of office. And Tim Scott got out there and said, right away, I would do this. And Lester Holt, showing a remarkable lack of memory, um, got out there and said, that's not going to do something immediately. When Donald Trump was elected, the stock market jumped. And energy prices started to come down. Because, like Tim Scott said, he's correct, it is based on anticipation of what's coming up on the future, on, on the horizon for business. So, and yes, I watched the whole debate. I, I, I fully understand why I don't watch television, though. I get it now. I haven't watched television for so long, I recognize nobody. Except Lester Holt, who, you know, Stubbornly hangs onto his hair. He should. He looks like a. He looks like a character from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, if you if you want to picture that in your head, but at the same time, you know he's still out there being Lester Holt. <laughs> yeah. 
Somebody's saying Hugh Hewitt is a never-Trumper. Some of the questions like getting out there and wanting details about how many ships and all this other stuff, that's... um, We've already been down that path. We were told about the numeric superiority of the Soviet Union during the Cold War. What we were not told was some of the issues they had with some of their main battle tanks, for example. Their main battle tanks, one of them, I can't remember if it was the T... It might have been the T-50 series or the new T-70 series when it came out. One of them had a tendency to mistakenly grab... These things have these autoloaders, these loading mechanisms for the main battle gun. And sometimes it would inadvertently grab the crewman who's running it and slam him into the breach. And don't get me started on the Kursk. So numeric superiority, if it's made out of junk is uh it, it doesn't mean much now we are we are slowly decommissioning things i mean right now we, we we've got so few people joining the military they're decommissioning stations in the coast guard for example so you know all that having been said uh we're gonna we're gonna break that down over the course of the next little bit but if you think we got problems in the Republican Party, let's talk about what's going on with, on with the Democrats. huh? This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. You know, the the Germans came up with this uh, term, schadenfreude. Uh, That's a word for every bizarre confluence of feelings and emotions. And it's about, you know, the shameful joy at others' pain. And as Republicans, if we're going to vote that way, we should be looking at the Democrats and enjoying our moment of schadenfreude. But there's, I'm not afraid of it. I'm enjoying it. Now, the Republicans, the Republican Party is wrenching itself back towards what it used to be. Doesn't look like it did 30 years ago. Doesn't even look like it did 20 years ago. We are becoming populists. We're becoming America firsters. So there's a lot of tension and change between what we are now versus what the McConnells and the and the and the uh, Grahams out there. You know, and you have Trump and DeSantis. I just think I think DeSantis represents the new Republican versus Haley and Pence, who are the faces of the old Republican. And so we're in chaos. And that's not surprising. But just look at what the Democrats have got. Look at what they're selling. <laughs> because what we have, the problem with us in the Republican Party is we got to fight the squishes. We got to get out there and, you know, get them to come around to our way of thinking of what being conservative means. So we have to take them into populism. We have to take them into America first in order for them to begin to conserve the way of life. 
Democrats have a bigger challenge than this because half of their party wants to be murder the other half. You got a bunch of people in there that get out in there and say, well, I will vote for this guy. And, uh, well, they're sort of genocide curious. And they're genocide curious to another huge portion of your electorate. When that happens, you got real problems. The problem is the Dem- Democratic Party leader, which is Joe Biden, uh, he has trouble walking on level ground. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got the you got one side of the uh, Democrats that have never met a terrorist they just couldn't love. Or a, you know, it's okay if if they murder Jew people. That that's how they feel. But they're not willing to take the leap into embracing a new Holocaust. But when you hear the new wokesters out there talking about from the river to the sea, that's what they're talking about, a new Holocaust. And if they get out there and actually say this out loud, then they begin to splinter their party from within. Now, a lot of these people say they would rather die than vote for Trump. And next year, they may get that chance or an opportunity to prove this. And uh, what we have today on the Republican side is uh, is old. It's it's stale. It's the same thing. We can get out there. I knew at some point last night, for example, Nikki Haley was going to say, we're better than that. And then she did. <laughs> In her closing remarks, we're better than that. You know. When you get out there and you begin to see this thing, and you begin to understand that some of this stuff that these people are putting on out there is actually an act. It's rehearsed. I've seen people get in front of a mirror and they work their hand movement and everything else to rehearse this speech. And I've seen this. It's like uh, it's like um, following a, a comedian to various comedy clubs and you see the same routine over and over again. So there's ne- no real spontaneity. They're not speaking from the heart. They have memorized it. Now, in 2010, we had the Tea Party movement. And then, uh, you know, that that brought some new energy and vitality into the GOP. And at the same time, they, they were trying to maintain some common ground with the old guard. Now we have the population, uh, the populist movement. And uh, while you and I like capitalism, for example, and we're, we're, we're out there and, uh, you know, if if you start a new shop, I wish you luck. And if you sell something that I like and it's something I can afford, I'm going to support you. And that, that, that kind of capitalism I like. The old school Republicans seem to like the corporate crony kind of capitalism. But the Democrats, they want to take everything and redistribute the wealth to their constituents. Now, the Tea Party, the, P, the Tea Party, was a different animal altogether because it was a confluence of people with different ideas. And somehow or other, they managed to work together for a very long time. It was very interesting to watch. South Carolina had a very active Tea Party at the time. Very active. The Columbia Tea Party was, but it, the way they executed was different from the way they, uh, 
they say the Myrtle Beach Tea Party did. They were both very big groups. And each one of those groups was made up. It was like a coalition because you had some people that were part of this group and some people that were part of Libertarians. And it, it was interesting to watch. And somehow I, they managed to work together. And then what I, I've never hammered down what happened. I, I don't know what happened to them. That was the sad part. I know the South Carolina GOP rolled in, and a lot of these people, they were very intoxicated by the, uh, by the success of it all. And when somebody got out there and beckoned to him, said, you know, you're really good at this. How would you like to do this for a living? I mean, like Alan Olson, he's, he's a carpenter in Columbia, and he was one of the Tea Party leaders down in Columbia. He did a really good job. I'm running the Tea Party. Uh, Jerry McDaniel and Joe Dugan down at New, in uh, Myrtle Beach, they did a really good job of running the Tea Party down there. And it was they, huge groups, very big groups, big, big manifestations. And the guys that wanted to be in office knew this, so they would court them. I don't know what the Democrats have got going on. You got to look at what they're selling, and you got to look who at, at their salespeople. <laughs> so they got a bigger problem. They have a bigger problem than we have, as bad as the problem is. And that, of course, becomes an issue in and of itself, especially if they decide, uh, you know, when Trump got elected, what did they do? They, they, they went violent. I mean, they were, you know, Madonna was out there wearing the, uh, the little hat, right? The, the little cat hat. I'm not going to call it what they called it, but they were all wearing the hat and they wanted to blow up the White House, and then they went down the street and started setting uh, limousines on fire and everything else. I don't remember us doing that. Even No matter how bad you want to try to make January the 6th look, that was nothing more than a bunch of people walking around. They'd never been in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the U.S. house before, and they're walking between the velvet ropes going, this is really nice. And then that became the big insurrection that wasn't. We had one person killed, uh, you know, Ashley Babbitt, killed by a cop who's been promoted and moved up and everything else. She she made the uh, she made the mistake of going forward through a broken window. She didn't even break the window. Took a round in the neck. So, yeah, the leftists have got a, a bunch of murderous intent on their side, and that's their problem. Because, unfortunately, as this look at the Pulse nightclub. Look at what, in the Pulse nightclub, you had a Islamic who was probably gay himself, but had a bunch of self-loathing. He decided he wanted to die. So he wanted to take out a bunch of gay people. So he goes to the Pulse nightclub and kills a bunch of people there. So you got two protected classes going at each other. It's very confusing, this ID politics stuff. It's very confusing because you need a scorecard to keep everybody straight. See, with me, I'm just looking for somebody that, uh, you know, comes close to my philosophy. I understand and accept that I'm not going to like everything about them. And I understand and accept that I've got to look at what the bigger picture is going to be. And we'll work on the details if we can get in there and actually start wielding power. Which is not what we do currently. That is not what we do currently. So... There you have it. That's their problem. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a guy from APOC Times. His name is Nan Su. I want to know if the Chinese watch these things and what they think about our elections and the way the political process goes. 
Because they are the ones that are looming on our horizon. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Now joining me now from APOC Times is the senior investigative reporter for all things concerning China, that being Nan Su. Good morning, sir. Hey, morning, uh, Bill. Thank you for having me. Um, it's very bright and early over there on the West Coast, isn't it? <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask Just you a question. My coffee. <laughs> well, well, that's always a good thing to have. So with with the Chinese leadership and the people that are running China, including the chairman, are they do they look at these debates and do they look at these political races and do they do they uh, do they have any preferences among among who they would like to see? Because they and correct me if I'm wrong, it just didn't seem like China was nearly as adventurous under Trump as they seem to have gotten under Biden. Well, I would say, you know, uh, uh, Biden actually followed the, uh, the China policy set by Biden. You know, Biden was the one who uh, entirely changed the wrong direction of the China policy for almost half century, uh, which, you know, uh, which how our China policy become uh, focused on the security. Now, uh, and when Biden uh, and when Biden took the office, uh, he, uh, you know, the Congress, the China policy has been like a bipartisan. It's got a bipartisan supporter. He, you know, he basically just follow uh, uh, the China policy Trump set set up. So, but I mean, am I right about that though? I mean, because was China just doing all this stuff a little more uh, clandestine under Trump, or, or was this something that all began under under the Obama administration, and then they just sort of went on idle during the Trump years? Well, the, our entire China policy was said way earlier. It was when uh, Henry Kissinger visited Beijing in 1971, uh, uh, and so and and followed by the Nixon's visit. So, and ever since then, uh, our China policy has been uh, in the same direction. Uh, and it gets, it got worse and worse. And, uh, and back in uh, 1992, uh, back in 1989, uh, when Tiananmen Square massacre took place, uh, George H.W. Bush, you know, didn't do much except providing some lead service. And then during the Clinton years, uh, we actually allowed China to join WTO be, uh, based on the wishful thinking that one day China will change politically and just all of a sudden become a, a part of a democratic world. That's the worst. The... So with China, with the way they, for example, like their economy, right? So they, they've invited all of the, the American businesses to come in there. Uh, I don't know how many of our dollars they hold. I know it's been, I've, I've heard it's a very large, large amount. Uh, and yeah, we have, uh, uh, by the end of uh, last year, based on the statistic, uh, last year we have uh, more uh, more than 126 billion, more than 126 billion total investment. I mean, that's the cash investment in China. And that's from United States alone. I mean, if you count the entire Western world, including uh 
Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, that's many, many hundreds of billions of dollars that, you know, we send to China. Well, I'm just, uh, and now China's starting to turn the other way. Now they're starting to become less and less. Uh, they Are they wanting to be more internalized as far as all being Chinese property or? No, I don't. I, I don't think they will ever want to become internalized. But, I mean, they are doing actually the expansion in a different way. Now, keep in mind, uh, communism is always international. It never stops in any country internally. You know, even Cuba and uh, North Korea, they they don't want to be internalized. So they. They really, they just don't have the capacity to expand. That's what, what uh, who, who they are. But they always, if you give them the chance, if you give them the chance, they will expand, you know, uh, to their neighboring countries. China is the same way, but now the strategy for the Chinese Communist regime is uh, get together with Russia, with uh, Iran, with North Korea, Belarus, uh, uh you know, the Taliban government in Afghanistan, you know, it, they're forming an uh, uh, newly emerged uh, anti-American, anti-freedom, anti-free world alliance. That, that's the different, it's a kind of a different kind of like a, a, a different way of expansion. You know, it's they, 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 they forming this alliance together, you know, uh, to to push forward uh, Chairman Xi. Chairman Xi always talk about uh, mankind's common destination, right? So <laughs> that's what they're doing. Uh, well, you know, the biggest question I have, though, one part of their alliances they're making is Iran. And they've rounded up every native Chinese Muslim, and they basically have them in concentration camps. They've separated their children. They're re-educating their children to be Chinese. Uh, how does Iran... And China, how do they sit there and and rationalize to each other? Yeah, this is a good alliance, or is it just because uh, the you know it's America they're focused on and not necessarily what each other is doing? Well, I don't think they care. The regime leaders, you know, they find uh, each and every way possible to manipulate the society. Uh, uh, they, you know, they they are alliance really building based on uh, their common enemy, that's the United States. Uh, uh, the Chinese communist regime inside China, you know, they don't allow the religious freedom. But once they get out of China, it's all about uh, looking for the common enemy or common interest. Uh, Chinese Communist Party uh, has a, a, a department, it's called the... Uh, <laughs> A United Front Work Department. It's you know it's a it's it's a department to to form alliance. United Front is the United Front against the enemy. Right. Right. Now, uh, George uh, Georgetown Foundation had a had an uh, investigation a couple years ago. The United Front Department of the Chinese Communist Party. Their annual budget is bigger than their. Uh, foreign ministries' uh, annual budget. So that's how much money they spend all around the world to build alliance. Well, I'm running out of time. There's so so many different ways we could go. It's just interesting to try to figure out what they're trying to do. 
And I, I kind of think I know. I think you know too, Non. That's why I bring you on. Non Su is the uh, senior investigative reporter on all things China at APOC Times. Thanks for joining me this morning, sir. Oh, thank you, Bill, for having me. Absolutely. Going to go back to Nashville. Uh, we need to know more about what Audrey Hale was about. The three pages we've got is not enough. We need to know more about what ma- what what motivated this. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right, so we have the... Uh, go ahead and cut, uh, shut yours down there, Maestro, if you will. There you go. That's so much more good. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. We don't know a lot of things about Audrey Hale. I, I, we need to know what kind of drugs she was on. I, I need to hear the toxicology report. And the, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Now, since she was being coddled along and being told, well, you, you're born a woman, but you want to be a man? Sure, your new name is Aiden. I dub thee Aiden. Uh, was Audrey taking testosterone? Was she taking some other stuff as well? Was she taking things, some sort of a psychotropic drug to try to manage the cocktail? Now, there's something called the Violence Project. And, and this is true. Female rampage killers are very rare. Of the 172 studied between 1966 and 2021, only four were female, and two of those had a male partner. Database reports 13 mass shootings at K-12 schools during that time, all committed by males. So this is an outlier. This is an anomaly, and we need to know why. Now, an active shooter incident means one or more individuals actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. And between 2000 and 2017, despite what you may read or hear about from the violence, uh, the gun violence archive, there were 37 active shooter incidents at K-12 schools with 153 casualties, and all 37 were male. So was the only thing that tipped Audrey Hale, her anger and her resentment about white privilege, or was she on something? And one of the things they're pointing to is exogenous testosterone. So when she was deciding to transition to be a man, this is according to the Nashville police, she had only uh, done that socially. And... Uh, Also, according to them, she was undergoing treatment for an emotional disorder. So if she experimented with cross-sex masculinizing hormones, uh, then we got other questions asked, like, when did she start this? And how high were her levels? And who monitored her levels? Because, you know, when you, I mean... Don't you have doctors that are constantly wanting to take your blood, monitor your levels? That that happens. Now, we haven't seen 
anything uh, where they tested her for anabolic steroids in the autopsy report. And the masculinizing cross-sex hormone would include anabolic androgenic steroids. Which the leftists don't want that out there. They don't want to know. And lots of people are asking this question. Newsweek is asked it. The Washington Post. Now, they, they said that this was a uh, anti-trans rhetoric. We're being transphobic because we want to know this. But we need to know this. We need to know what she was treated with, how she was treated, what were her levels. And, uh, you know, there's unsafe hormone levels out there. Estrogen level is greater than 800. And there's been a few instances without a plan case or plan of care documented. Like greater than 800, that's dangerous, but no plan or dose adjustment noted. So this is one of these, uh, they haven't really studied the effects of exogenous testosterone on human psyches. And the only ones they can really look at are the athletes who really sort of abuse them. You know, with some of these athletes will take more in a day than somebody being treated by a doctor would take in a month. So, you know, there's that. But they know that a lot of these guys have anger issues and anxiety and depression and low self-esteem. We don't know this yet. And we don't know if she was taking them, if this played a role in her aggression. But was a, some of this drug induced we would like we should know this because we got to get to the root cause of this this is news talk 989 WORD the voice of the carolinas